You're watching the Mondays with Midja podcast. Midja is founder and CEO of Legal Leadership, a company specialising in the leadership training and coaching of lawyers. Get set to jumpstart your week with a shot of mojo as Midja and her guests talk all things life, love and leadership. Hey, it's Monday and I'm Midja and welcome to the podcast all about life, love and leadership and we have taken the podcast on the road. Today we are in Bris Vegas and at the offices of Travis Schultz and Partners and I have special counsel Trent Johnson with me today so a big welcome to Trent. Thanks Midja. Thanks for being here Trent. Um so, of course, we're going to get into uh, leadership in a moment, but firstly, I wanted to ask you about why the law and why, uh, you know, why you chose this profession. Um, oh, look, interesting question. Uh, I went out of high school, straight out of high school uh, and did a nursing degree um, and went straight from that up to Caboolture Hospital, spent about five years working up there, rotating through all the various wards and um, spent a fair bit of time in emergency um, starting getting a bit bit tired of that, I suppose, after a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, not the type of job you want to be doing when you're early 20s and all your mates are out sort of partying and doing silly things that you do, <laughs> um, working night shift and weekends. Um, and I had an interest in the law. Um, when you go through and do uh, your nursing degree, there's a law subject there. Um, and I decided to go back and do some further study. Mm-hmm. Um, nursing was really good for that because I could uh, work a night shift and yeah, study while I was sitting at the triage desk and stuff like that. So um, went back, uh, did an accelerated law degree, um, so I managed to cut that down by a year, um, finish that off, and the rest, they say, is history. Yeah. So Absolutely. So what did you take from nursing, do you think, into this next career as being a lawyer? Um, Probably sounds a bit silly, but probably the whole uh, empathy side of things. Obviously, um, yeah, the the medico terminology, that's sort of an advantage, particularly moving into personal injuries, which is what I've done. Um, But more so just, uh, I suppose, the ability to relate to different people um, at a critical time in their life when they, they have certain needs, um, you know, whether they be injured, um, out of work, whatever, I think they align pretty well. Um, just being able to you know, help help people at that difficult moment. Absolutely, and I think we see. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people over my career who have come from nursing into the law, so it seems to be you know that a profession that people sort of go into uh, after nursing, and certainly that empathy piece is uh, obviously connected and being able to help people at a particular stage in their lives when they need some help, need some assistance. Yeah, I think, um, so I turned up first day of law school, uh, one of my mates who I just knew through our nursing degree, hadn't seen him since then, he was turning up for his first day of law school just by coincidence. Um, Yeah, it's, um, I think the, uh, the stats back when I did it anyway were that the a highest proportion of postgraduate students doing a law degree are from a nursing background. And I don't know whether that's because you do a, a law and nursing subject as you're going through mm-hmm. or whether uh, they just dovetail in um, together in that particular way. But, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of former nurses go on to become lawyers, lots that I've worked with over my career. Excellent. And so 
I know in your career you've worked for you know different law firms and in different positions, and you would have seen experienced a lot of different leadership, yep. a lot of different leaders um, in your career. So, talk to me a little bit about the the good, bad, and the ugly of what you've seen in our legal profession in regards to leadership. Um, look, I, I think it's changed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. People now, uh, I think the profession is probably a bit more informal than it was when I started even 20 years ago, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Mm. Um, certainly a, a different level of collegiality in the profession by what I see. Um, the more formal leadership styles, I think, are starting to fall by the wayside now, and now it's very much about being uh, in touch with your staff um, treating everyone you know, in a very similar way. Uh, the old hierarchical structures are starting to fall away as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they may still be in place in title, but in practicality in most law firms or the ones that I've worked in anyway, there's not a lot of delineation. Okay. And the positive side of that, what do you see that that's, um, that that's bringing out, I suppose, in the teams that you've worked with and and I suppose the end result as well for our legal clients. Yeah, I think it is um, more so now, much more of a team effort in running files. Um, so I know here that we have, um, as I said, you know, we have different titles for people, but um, but there's not a strict delineation of um, of people in the hierarchy of of our firm. Um, it's a very much all hands on deck approach. So you'll see people um, in different positions doing different jobs that that could be done by anyone in the firm. Um, it's really sort of you know where where the hands are needed, people will go, um, and I think that's that's good. Um, also makes it easier to sort of transition staff through the ranks as they want to start moving into different roles. If mm-hmm. they've had experience to other roles, um, if they've had a good open communication with you know um, with their managers, things like that. And the challenges of that, particularly, you know, certainly from a legal point of view. Most law firms will have particular measurements in place, targets and individual targets. We see from some of the research about lawyers that we tend to be more of a competitive bunch. We like to work quite autonomously. So maybe you're seeing a shift in that. But what about just from a results, measurements, that kind of point of view when you've got high collaboration, movement, agility. How does that sit together, do you think? I think it sits together pretty well. Um, I I don't know. The the way I see it, you're seeing a a seismic shift in the way that that cases are transacted. And I can only speak about the personal injury space because that's where I've spent the entirety of my career. Um, Now more so, it's very much everyone has responsibility for the progression of the claim for the uh, professionalism of the claim, how it's um, put together and presented to the other side, progressing these things towards trial if they haven't resolved. Um, whereas you know, those old days where it was, you know, um, you'd pit yourself against the next lawyer and mm-hmm. the old days where you'd have, um, you know, statistics sent around, whether it's on a monthly or a weekly basis, saying who's billed the most, who's charged the most time in terms of units, all that sort of stuff, um, Thankfully, those days, I think, behind us. Um, That's good to hear because when I practised, those were the days. Yeah. yeah. And I remember sometimes, yeah, 
seeing some of those reports come through and um and and you know uh Trent and I have known each other for a very long time and was always when I moved into the learning and development space it it was a, a tough space to be in because I always felt like um you know, I was taking away from people's, you know, billable hours and their yep. productivity and the impact of all that would have. And but going, well, but we need professional development and we need to coach and we need to mentor and we need our leaders to step into that space as well. And it always felt like at odds. Yeah, well, I think um, particularly getting away from time recording, that's been one of the biggest things that I've noticed. Um, yeah, the, if you're time recording, you're a slave to the clock, mm. um, and and all you're focused on is just getting those units in. Um, and you know, some of them, yeah. If if you're trying to make up time, um, it's a tough thing to do. You'll be sitting at the desk till all hours of the night, as opposed to you know task focused. Right, this mm-hmm. is the next thing that we need to get done. And if you're in a team environment doing that, um, you can say, right, I'm going to do this. I need you to pitch in and help me. You know, get it to this stage, um, and, and I think that's more productive. Mm-hmm. So. And so around that, because obviously what we're seeing now in the profession, uh, not great stats coming out around lawyers' mental health yep. and what's happening in in that space, particularly for lawyers. So as a leader, um, what do you think we can do about that? What sort of measures can we put in place so that I, I'm on a bit of a mission for people to love what they do, yep. to love um, corporate life, to love their role, to turn up on a Monday and think, thank God it's yep. Monday. And then I'm seeing some of this research coming out that's like not great, particularly for lawyers. How are we going to fix it, Trent? <laughs> Help. Um, look, it's a million-dollar question. Um, From my point of view, um, again, it's and this is going to sound silly, but it's working in that team environment. So, Mm. yeah, we've we've got a pretty close knit team, um, both here and in in some of my previous roles we have as well. Um, Yeah, where you're really looking after each other. I can tell uh, if staff are starting to to become stressed or overworked. Um, and if I see any of those warning signs, I'll go and sit down with them, take them for a coffee and just say, look, how can we help out? What are we doing here? Um, you know, if we've got junior lawyers who you, know, you see aren't getting to tasks or um, are putting in excessive hours, there's a reason for that. You need to address that as soon as possible um, before they burn out and before they leave the profession because I think that's probably one of the worst things that you see in the law is these um, these young kids are going and, putting in all this time and effort and expense to get themselves a law degree and then they're coming out and they're either, A, choosing not to go into the law mm-hmm. um, and into other professions where they don't use their degree at all or, B, they're coming into the law and then they're leaving, including um, one of the biggest problems seems to be that we've got women going off on maternity leave and then choosing not to come back because there's not flexible working arrangements for them. Mm-hmm. So some some big issues there. Um but yeah, I think it's it's really working in a team environment, looking out for each other, um, realizing when people are starting to struggle, and before they're getting to the stage where they're reaching burnout, is is really reaching out to them and saying, right, what can we change here? Can we reduce your file load? Can we provide you with additional assistance? 
Can we, um, you know, lessen your workload in other ways? So take management responsibilities off you. What do you want to do? And also saying to people, look, what's your preference? What do you want to be doing? Do you want to be running files? Do you want to be in the management role? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've probably seen this in, you know, in your previous um, in your previous work at Shine, um, where you might not be asked what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You might be given what others perceive is the right thing for you to be doing or what you're good at. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just that that perception piece, that empathy piece, which I know we spoke about in relation to clients, but also for our own colleagues yep. and, and team members. Um, and certainly, I don't know, um, painting the picture of, Okay, I'm an idealist and an optimist and I know sometimes people have mentioned, you know, they wish they could live in um, Midge's la-la fairy land of <laughs> unicorns and butterflies. It's, yep. a good, it's a good world to be in. Um, but I hope also that there's um, some realism there as well. And I know when I'm asked to speak and sometimes I'll speak and there'll be a number of speakers and yeah, some older people at my age or maybe even older in the profession don't paint the best picture of being a lawyer about going to the bar or about like the slog and the sacrifice and the this. And I can see sometimes the young lawyers or the law students and their, their faces in the crowd are like, they're looking like, oh no, have I done the wrong thing? Yeah. Mm. And I, I don't want, and I don't think any leader, and you know, and someone you know who's had a long career in the law, you don't want to paint it as something it's not. But I also think we need to get people excited about practicing law. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, law's not always going to be beer and skittles. It's um, it's not fun every day <laughs> of the week, but um, but it should be challenging. It should be interesting. You should be learning new things every day. You should be really trying to push the envelope in terms of how far you're pushing these claims, um, you know, whether it be trying to, uh, you know, in the type of work that we do, investigating liability, quantifying damages, getting the evidence. I mean, it, there's, nothing, mm. there's nothing better than taking a claim that's an averaged claim and turning it into a great claim. Absolutely. Um, you know, different, different people get enjoyment out of different things. Um, and you know, if, if you're doing this type of law, that's... That's the pinnacle of it, yeah, getting getting good results, great results. Yeah, it was a. I was watching a video the other day of Dr. Fiona Wood, who's the the special sperms doctor. She did a lot of the barley work, and it was an interview around um, her around that time, a couple of years later, and she just said something like, "It's just a matter of turning up every day and wanting to do better." Yep. And she said, "The day I turn up and I don't think I can do better is the day I retire." I love that from her. I was like, what a great way just to approach work. Yep. It's kind of just what you said. It's just every day turning up to do better. Well, yeah, and you, know, you look at occupations like that, they can you know, be, be dealing with pretty horrific traumatic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, um, I, I saw a little bit of that when I was back in my nursing days. Mm. But um, the flip side of that is these people are making a genuine difference. And if they're at the top of their game, they're making a real difference to the outcome for these people. Um, so it shouldn't be any different in anything that you do. You know, Absolutely. If, if you're going to do it, do it well or go and do something else. 
Yeah. And that, that makes you happy, I should say. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think the great thing now is, um, is there's lots of avenues for lawyers now and there's, but there's different roles now to do in our legal profession that just, I suppose, didn't exist a yep. long time ago. So I don't know. I think pointing that out to our young lawyers and, and people studying law is, um, yes, there's still the traditional positions and roles and and promotional opportunities to partner and all of that, of course. But there's a whole lot of other yep. stuff that you can do yep. in the legal profession all these, that helps. Um, all these boutiques and startups mm-hmm. and crowdfunding organisations. Um, you know, I think lawyers generally are multi-skilled. Um, you know, if, unless the law degree has changed since I went through, you know, it's a fairly hands-on thing. You, you know, learn different skills, social skills, and obviously your research and all that sort of stuff. So they're highly transferable. Mm. Um, so, you know, yep, uh, the, the nine to five or whatever it is, firm life might not suit some. Um, but, you know, don't, don't uh, be discouraged from using your degree for something that will mm. be a benefit to you. And what's from our people, you know, that are starting off in professional services and they're just starting their careers, what do you think they want from their leaders and from their employers? So what what are you hearing or what sort of feedback? Or um, It's actually, I think it's changed over the 20-odd the years that I've been working and that I've known you, be almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now it's it's more so they want you to have an interest in them and their career and where they intend going with their um, with their career, mm. as opposed to in the past just being someone that stands there or sits there and delegates you know, duties and orders and expects certain performance of them. That they, mm. they really uh, want the interaction and. I'm not sure whether that's just a generational thing or what it is, but I've I've noticed that I think it's um, I think there's a greater level of interaction uh, and interest in each other's lives now mm. moving forward. And what does what does that mean for leaders then, and what they have to do? I think they need to be more personal. Um, mm. Take a you know, th- there's a difference between taking an interest or a genuine interest in your. Um, in your co-workers, I won't say staff, but your co-workers. Yes, yeah. You know, um, so show a bit of empathy, ask them how their weekend was. Um, you know, if if you can help them out with anything else, ask them if they need assistance. Mm. So, and that that genuine piece, I think, is is really important because, yeah, like having the script or it's like that thing about you know asking if someone's okay, but if you don't actually care about the answer. Yeah. then don't bother yeah, asking them. People can tell. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but um, if, you are, if you are genuine, people will know. Uh, and yeah, I think that's just something that comes with a bit of experience and you know, upbringing, education, mm. all that sort of stuff. Do you think that sometimes that's a problem because of uh, pace? Just... You know, the, when you ask someone how they are, the response now is, I'm busy, we're trying to do more with less, people are switched on all the time. So how do you see that that's impacting some of that that relationship leadership and some of that personal stuff, or is it? Um, 
Oh, well, look, yes, it is impacting on. I think it's it's so easy to get caught up in the um, if you want to call it the pace, the you know the overwhelming pace of life now. Weeks, you know, days go into weeks, go into months. <laughs> you know, um, but um, you need to step away from that and just say, right, what's the most important thing here? We're all here to get a job done. We need to enjoy our work because we spend as much time with our workmates, probably more than we do with our actual families. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if I'm at home and I'm not happy with my family, yeah, um, that, that's that's not good. But if I'm spending more time with my coworkers and I'm unhappy with them or they're unhappy because of something that's yeah, impacting them, um, that's not a good thing either. It's going to affect the whole dynamics of the team. So it's um, it's it's really just, I suppose, drilling down into right, how are you, I really want to know, not just, you know, good morning, how are you, I'm good, thanks. Well, no, that's a bit of a crappy answer because you may not be good. Things might be going on that that you're not happy about. And it's always, you know, I have a lot of leaders that speak to me or, you know, we're, we're doing some work and they get, like, so shocked by resignations, you know, and they ring me and they're like, such and such has left and they've resigned and they said this and I didn't see it coming and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, and I get that sometimes there might be unforeseen things that happen. But sometimes when we drill down a little bit deeper into it, um, they weren't having the conversations. They weren't taking an interest in what next for that person and someone else did. And there was, a sh- you know, a shiny new opportunity out there yep. that c- may have been able to be fulfilled within the or- their existing organisation, but they just never knew about it. Yeah. And no one knew that they even had that interest or that skill or whatever it is. And if you're not getting it where you are, you go elsewhere yeah, exactly to get it. Exactly right. Um, look, it goes back to what I was saying before, which is don't just pigeonhole people by what they seem good at. Ask them what they actually enjoy and what they want to be doing. Um, you know, I've worked with plenty of people over time who've resigned and gone to other firms. Uh, I've been one of them myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the main takeaway that I've learned from that is, if you can, find out why people are going and the honest reasons why they're going. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, treat them well on the way out yes. because, you know, um, what's better than someone leaving, well, nothing, if they're a good staff member. But what's even better is if they go away and they learn some new skills and then they come back. Mm. So, you know, um, if, if they're a good staff member, the door's always ajar and they're always Absolutely. welcome to come back. Absolutely. So. And, you know, I, I see that with different, different firms and different organisations where, um, you know, if I'm doing a workshop or something and someone will be like, yeah, I've been here 15 years, but it was like five first, and then I had a gap of three, and then I came back and did this, and then that was... Th- and I'm like, okay, this tells me something about culture. This tells me something about this organisation and the leadership here that um, even if it doesn't feel right or there's another opportunity somewhere that people then will come back when it feels right again for them. Yep. And... I think it's part of that piece around we can't nail people to their desks and keep them there. Even though some people you'd love to do that. You'd love to go, right, I just want them to work and they're a great producer and they're a great team member. And I remember in my career leaders saying to me, sometimes let them go, Midge. 
don't get so uh, about people leaving the team. Like, wish them well, let them go. Yep. Treat them well, as you said, on the way out. And you never know the opportunity that might come up again to work with them. Yep. Um, and, you know, um, you may end up working with them somewhere different. Absolutely. Or you, you may need um, to call in a favour at some stage in the future. Yeah, so it's all about that, you know, not burning your bridges, all that sort of stuff. But um, if they are a, a genuine good worker who's a good fit for your team culturally and um, you know, um, with their productivity, everything, um, why would you want to sort of, um, I suppose, alienate that person? You want to stay on the good side of them. You want them to come back. You want to work yep. with them again. Absolutely. And I think there's, you know, we, we hear a lot more now around, you know, the workforce on demand and what work might look like in, you know, 10, 15 years' time um, and how different it might be to, you know, even now still like a lot of people are still on like full-time or they're like permanent staff members and that that may change. And um, just having that opportunity to go, you know what, there's a piece of work for this firm now and you're right for it and it might be a six-month or a nine-month opportunity um, but then you'll move on to something else and then we might have something else for you. Yep. Like a great claim we're running in a couple of years' time, we'd love to get you back for that and and just that agility and that, that motion of people's career, but it means, yeah, building that reputation. It means relationships. It means your personal brand. It means all of that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, so love all that discussion about that. It's... Being really positive, I don't want to bring us down, but we do have a segment on the podcast, Trent, called Leader Shit, which is the shittiest things about leadership. So it can be like, it can be confession time. So it can be sort of something that you may have done as a leader. I think we all have things we've done. We go, oh, that wasn't good. Something you'd like to share, Trent, and what you've learned from that? Look, probably um, it, it flows on from what I'm saying, you know, treat people well on the way out of the door. Um, there's two, two that stick out in my mind. Um, I, I used to work with a partner, um, and I won't tell you their name because you'll know them. Right. <laughs> um, and this partner, um, they were sacking someone from their office. Um, and this partner tells this story about how they sacked this person and they're in a particular office. And uh, it was a, a raining day, it was storming and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were... Um, that vindictive about the termination that they made this person go and stand out on the footpath with their box of belongings in their hands in the pouring rain and you know, wait for a taxi to pick them up and presumably take them to their home. Um, and this partner was saying, yeah, I remember standing there feeling so bad that this person was standing out in the rain. And I'm thinking, well, you obviously didn't feel that bad to ask them back into the building and have a cup of coffee or something and just, have a, just have a chat about yeah. why things didn't work out. Um, and so I heard that story several years ago and I thought, I'm, I'm never going to be that manager. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's just a shitty thing to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, move forward several years and uh, I was in a similar position where um, I was about to start performance managing a staff member and um, I think the staff member could, could sort of tell what was happening. They just weren't, weren't a a good fit for our team or anything like that. Um, and this staff member resigned and um, I'm a big believer in when you resign, you stay on and you do the right thing by the business and 
put in the effort and work out as I've done before when I've resigned. Yes. Um, and I expected this person to do that. Um, but in hindsight, the best thing would have been and what this person actually wanted was just to leave straight away. Um, and I made this person work on and work out their notice period and it was just, um, yeah, it was, it was embarrassing for that person. It was demoralising for our team because it just ruined the culture that we had. You could tell this person was very unhappy coming to work. Um, and if look, if I had my time over again, it would be exactly the opposite. I'd be saying, look, yeah, fair enough, it didn't work out. Um, we're obviously not going to be able to change that. You've made up your mind, so let's just sort of part ways. Ah, oh, yes, the old question. I still get asked that now, Trent, about when people are either letting people go or people resigning and they're like, should I make them work out their, their four weeks or whatever the notice period is? And... Um, uh, and I think, yeah, it obviously depends on the circumstances. Yeah. Um, but in that story there, it sounded like it was just lose, lose, lose for everyone. It, it was. <laughs> no, yeah, no one benefited. The clients didn't. We didn't. Um, this this um, employee didn't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, whereas if we'd done the exact opposite, I think everyone would have been happy. Um, and that's what I should have done. So, you know, it's all part of, all part of learning. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. When do we uh, when do we get this stuff right? Well, maybe maybe never, but we're getting better. As Fiona Wood said, we're just getting better. That's exactly right. <laughs> Every day, yeah. turn up, get better. Um, and so, for you right now in your career and and your leadership role, what are you working on? Um, I think I'm just uh, working on building a better team. Um, and that's not to take anything away from the people that I work with. They're a great bunch of people. But just getting that culture, um, we have a, a large office on the Sunshine Coast, so we're a smaller office here in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really trying not to have, I suppose, a two-culture, uh, two two-office type firm. So I want the staff from the Sunshine Coast to be able to come down here and just fit in like a glove mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. So um, that, that's the challenge at the moment is having the, the tyranny of distance, I suppose you'd say, between the two offices, but having everyone working as a large team. Um, and we put a, a lot of effort into that, um, you know, lots of interaction between the offices. Um, we want to know what they're up to, make sure they're up to date with what we're doing. Everyone sort of uh, is, is working together. Mm. So any tips around that? Because I know, um, as you mentioned earlier, like a lot of lawyers are going out on their own, starting their own firms. You know, I've known a few now that, um, you know, just getting more and more people, maybe opening a different office up, whether that be in Sydney or on one of the coasts in Queensland or, you know, sort of starting to get those two offices and, and... so tips on that around well, how you can build that culture and how you can connect that. Um, look, I think the biggest thing is you need to um, be careful when you're putting on staff, so making sure that they're a good cultural fit for your firm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I know, for example, um, we will look at that. So if we have a, a need to put on more staff... If it's a case of we've got someone who's applied for a role and they're a good lawyer or a great lawyer, but they're not a cultural fit, um, we need to find someone that ticks all the boxes, that is you know, a good or a great lawyer, but also a cultural fit, so a decent person. Mm-hmm. 
because um, the last thing that you want is you know, to, to be able to power through your work. But as soon as it comes time for a social function where you want your staff really to be interacting with each other, to have someone who just does not fit in at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's holding out for the right staff members and, you know, you'd know this, finding, finding truly great staff is hard. There's lots of great lawyers out there, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, um, they, they might not necessarily be a, a good cultural fit for your firm and, and support staff as well. So. Oh, absolutely. I get stopped literally on the street by people all the time going, do you know anyone looking for a jolt, Mitch? Yeah. I'm like, I can't, I've got some confidence to here. I can't be talking about who's unhappy where or anything like that. But there is often, I'm like, I could start a little recruitment <laughs> side business, yes, a side hustle in recruitment. Well, um, someone's got to do it well. <laughs> absolutely. So it's, yeah, that cultural fit is really important. I, I think because... If we connect that back to something you were saying uh, early in the in interview around if we're wanting to work more uh, collaboratively, if, if we're having that more team approach, then the older days where we could just put a lawyer in a room and shut the door and they would just work by themselves, if those kind of days are now going and we want more of that collaborative team approach, then they've got to get on with the team. Yeah, yeah, they do. And that culture piece, abs- like it steps up even further then, yeah. uh, is in importance. Yeah, and look, it's not to say you can't have different personalities working in an office. You know, if we we're all extroverts, it would just be a circus. Um, so, so you need a. I you, know, Trent. You, you <laughs> need a good. That. You need yeah. a good mix, but I think you know, it comes down to um, to values, to how you interact with people, um, whether you're empathetic with your clients and with your coworkers. Um, so yeah. People come from all different walks of life, but it doesn't mean to say you can't get a good mix that, that will get along. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Trent, a couple of things before I let you go. Now, firstly, of course, this podcast is also a little bit about love. <laughs> right. And um, it's just a ruse, actually, to, for me to get dating advice. I'm just I'm putting it out there. This is what I'm, I'm trying to do here. Um, I'm having no luck. So... I'm asking my guests, and maybe I'll collate their advice at some point and put it somewhere, but love advice. You've been lucky in love, Trent, so tell me, love advice, dating advice for uh, me and for our listeners. Yeah, look, I don't think, I don't think I'm your sort of um, yardstick for <laughs> love or dating advice. Um, Come my on, wife, Trent. My wife reminds me that I'm a serial long-term dater um, <laughs> who, who, who can't be on my own. Um, <laughs> But look, um, I think it's just like everything. I'm, uh, I think as I'm getting older, I'm still working harder to be a better husband. Um, I can say um, I've got a few of my friends who are um, divorced dads, uh, single dads, things like that. Um, And the dating world just looks really (laughs) tough out there. Um, Help me, Trent. (laughs) I don't know how much help I'm going to be. Actually, I guess all I can say, uh, because I do see this with some of my mates, is um, sometimes they're not themselves. Um, And uh, if if like people out there are not are not themselves, no, being authentic, not being real. Yeah, and I think they're trying to portray an image um, and a lifestyle that perhaps isn't the norm. Um, And and I know I've said this to uh, to two of my mates. I'm just saying, look, just 
just calm down. If you're just your your nice, normal self, easygoing guy, you know, good-hearted, all that sort of stuff, that'll put you in good stead. Uh, And then I tell them I haven't dated for 25 years, so not really to pay too much attention (laughs) to me. I love that advice, Trent. I love that. Thank you. I'm going to, like... Take that on board. I'm taking that on board. I'm taking that on board. Let me know how it goes for you. I'll let you know. Absolutely. Now, we don't leave an episode without, um, I call them the fortune cookie without the cookie part, which I know will make you sad because I know you like food, Trent, so I'm sorry there's no cookie. But we have our little cards, which are a bit of life advice, and I like to think kind of a bit woo-woo, like the universe, that you're choosing this card and it's a message for you. Okay. Or it's a message for our listeners today. So... Now, I have two boxes with me. I have the dream or I have trust your crazy ideas. Which box do you want, Trent? Uh, I'll go the trust your crazy oh. ideas. All righty. I'm just getting this out. I'm going to pick some. And Trent's just going to close his eyes and just, you know, let the energy decide which card he is going to choose. All right. All right. There they are. Don't want to do this. Perfect. Now, you have to, like, open the little thing at the front. All oh, right. Some yeah. people just... Look at the front. Yeah, it's like almost a, as good as a fortune cookie. It's almost as good. What does it say, Trent? All right. The, uh, the good news is you don't know how great you can be, how much you can love, what you can accomplish, and what your potential is. Anne Frank. Oh. What do you I think like, about that, like Trent? That. Do you like that? I do like that. It's very positive. Um, I think that's what we're, we're trying to instill in each other is... Um, particularly with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, both local uh, and abroad. So I think everyone could do with a bit more positivity at the moment, a bit more happiness in their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I love that. And a big thank you, Trent, for your time today, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Now, um, best place for people to connect with you, Trent. What is your platform of choice? Uh, My platform of choice is (laughs) LinkedIn, to a lesser extent Twitter. I'm on Facebook as a daggy dad. Um, love that. I'm not. I'm not quite as cool as some. I'm not on Insta. Oh, Trent! I come know. On. I know. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, change that at some stage. But yeah, absolutely. I will obviously put those links in our show notes as well. Well, that is a wrap uh, for the episode this week. And I want you to go out there and sprinkle some magic uh, in your week this week. I'm Midja, and thank God it's Monday. We trust you enjoyed this episode of the Mondays with Midger podcast. Host Midger Fisher is a leadership expert, keynote speaker, coach and facilitator. To find out more about Midger, visit midja.com.au or follow her on Instagram, Midger Fisher. And make sure you subscribe, share and leave a review. 